Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. The Irish workforce is aging. Estimates from the Central Statistics Office indicate that there will be about 1.5 million aged 65 or over in Ireland by 2051. Also, with the qualifying age for the old age pension likely to be pushed out, people are going to be in the workplace for longer. Despite this, though, are we still seeing ageism in the workplace? To take a closer look at this topic today, we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Trudy Corrigan, Assistant Professor at the DCU School of Policy and Practice and a Research Fellow at the DCU Anti-Bullying Centre. Thanks for joining us, Trudy. How are you? Uh, Great, thanks, Owen. Thanks for inviting me here today. Brilliant stuff. Uh, And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, our Managing Director and Founder here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen, and delighted to have you here, Trudy. Thanks, Mary, and delighted that the three of us are together here today. Pretty stuff and a a very important topic. It's one we're all quite passionate about. So I suppose we'll jump right in, Trudy. So I suppose you've done, obviously, some fascinating research in the the area of ageism, particularly on ageism and bullying in the workplace, I think, back in 2020, and then recently about kind of addressing ageism in the workplace, some of the research you did in 2022. Can you talk to us about some of the key findings of your research? I suppose, how big of a problem are are we dealing with here? Well, I'd be, li- be delighted to do that, uh, Owen and uh, Mary. And just I think what I do need to acknowledge is that the most recent report, the 2022 report, is very much in partnership with the Irish Research Council and Age and Opportunity. So um, the the findings of the report are very much in context of work that's actually been carried out by a lot of organisations, uh, for example, in alone uh, organisations in Ireland that actually the Irish uh, Public Health Institute, who very much are focusing on, as you said, the ageing workforce. And I think it's really important that I need to start this by actually saying to you that it's really important that we need to look at our attitudes and perceptions of ageing. And therefore, that is something that we will come to later on in the podcast. But in doing that, uh, I'd really like to start with the message that we have a very valuable resource in our ageing population. And I really think that that's actually, um, it's in many ways untapped. And again, I'd like to highlight how we might be able to tap into that as a really valuable resource in our workplaces, in organisations and also in our wider society. So very briefly, uh, we did find actually that uh, through the most recent report and indeed the report in 2020, that there are key areas that we need to look at. One is consciousness raising around what are our attitudes, perceptions and behaviour towards ageing. And I do want to emphasize, Owen, this isn't just about older people in the workforce. It's about younger people and their perceptions of their future self. So it's really important from the perspective of older and younger uh, employers and indeed employees. We also found that where there's awareness of the equality employment legislation, that there tends to be less likely uh, to be, for example, experiences of ageism in the workplace leading towards, for example, the Workplace Relations Commission cases that we know that we're aware of. So where actual companies are are making 
an awareness or creation and awareness around that is really important. We also really very much advocate the idea of multi-generational workplaces and multi-generational strategies and approaches to actually increase that actual engagement between employees of all ages. And it's really, we know that we'll be successful when we get to a stage where an employee, an employer will not be defined by their age, just as with, for example, the other grounds of discrimination. But unfortunately, ageism is still one that is very prevalent today. Mm-hmm, 100%. I suppose there's so many layers to it, which we'll, which we'll hopefully unpick over the course of the episode. Um, one of the points there, Mary, that Trudy made, I suppose, was that we do kind of see this in the courts still. We do see it in practice, Mary. Is that something where I suppose it is reflective of our own experience, Mary, and what we see, isn't it? Absolutely, Own, And as you know, Own, I'm passionate about uh, ageism in the workplace. Um, my own mother was uh, ahead of her time in terms of um, equality and she you know, did a master's in, in equality many, many years ago uh, and used to talk a lot about uh, discrimination, but particularly about uh, age discrimination. Um, and I grew up, I guess, on a, a steady diet about of uh, fairness and justice and equality. And absolutely, when it comes to age, it's not one of the popular um, areas of discrimination in the workplace right now. So you see... Um, many organizations picking areas of discrimination to focus on and they've done some fantastic work but age never seems to get the same look in um, and we we regularly at Insight HR get calls from our clients uh, around retirement age um, and retiring people and you know, that movement on fixed term contracts after the age of 65 um, and that idea that the employee themselves don't necessarily want to retire, but yet find themselves in a position that they don't really have an option after a certain age point. Um, And I think that's really sad because, you know, people have so much to give um, and so much value to add within the workplace and any organization that really is strategic about it um, and and uh, actively targets um, older people to come into certain jobs uh, really benefit from it. Um, and I just don't understand why it's not more prevalent and why it's not more widespread and why more HR people aren't thinking, particularly in the uh, resourcing um crisis for many organizations, why they don't develop strategies uh, to make workplaces more accessible to those over the age of 65 in in particular. Um, But I really like the idea, Trudy, that, you know, it's not just older people and and bringing older people back into the workplace and, and using all that talent and knowledge, but also looking at the perception of young people um, and their own perceptions of themselves as they age, because it's inevitable we're all going to age. And I also think it's incredibly sad at the end of somebody's working life that they find themselves discriminated against, that they feel they have no option but to go to the WRC um, to protect their rights. 
and that there are still cases going through the WRC today um, where people have been discriminated against or forced into retirement for no objective reason. 100%. I suppose that's a perfect segue on to my next question. It's a question I'll ask both of you actually, but I'll come to yourself first, Trudy, if that's okay. Um, I suppose my question is, where are we seeing this manifest, Trudy? Like, are we seeing people, as Mary said, kind of pushed out of roles? Are people missing promotions? Are people struggling to even get jobs in the first place? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, oh, I suppose, again, like Mary, I just want to very make a very brief comment about that. Um, my own background is in education and my own experience and the reason that I've actually become very passionate about this area that uh, many years ago, my, my younger self as a teacher, I was invited to teach a group of active retired people about the local history of their area. And what really struck me was, um, it's fair to say, I was blown away by that experience because although I was coming to them as their teacher, they were my teacher, they were my mentor. And it was just that kind of vibrance, energy, engagement. And while I had seen that within my own family, for example, with grandparents uh, for my own children, I hadn't actually experienced that because there was no spaces, there was no uh, opportunities for me to meet with, with older adults. And I'm talking about, I suppose, if we put an age on it, it's very difficult to put an age on it. Let's say older adults over 60 years of age. So there wasn't any kind of naturalistic spaces for us to come together and meet together. And it brings me to another point, which I think is very important. And that is, again, Mary, when we're talking about younger people, and oh, and I put it to you today and Mary, you know, and I say to my own students, um, do you really look forward to the day when you're going to be called the elderly? What does that term mean? Is that something we're all going to look forward to? And um, just some of my work actually has brought me into that whole kind of uh, reimagining how we actually call what we call older people, because elderly really by its connotation is about frailty. It's about uh, being vulnerable, as some of the older people that I worked with during my time teaching them talked about invisibility. And so, you know, we really need to look at us as a society. Do we have an outdated framework? that defines aging. And is that something that we need to start with? And we need to start with it in the wider society, but also within the workplace. And so if I come very, if I come specifically to the workplace own, it really filters through this kind of outdated idea of aging filters through to the workplace. And there are three areas that are really hugely important to many older workers. And one is the whole area of recruitment. And many of them feel very much discriminated uh, by before they ever get to actually uh, be employed. And this is something that we're really very much strongly advocating. And as I say, I'm not alone. DCU are not alone. But we have, for example, wonderful reports that have come from Employment Matters. And um, we have reports that have come from William Fry talking about that we need to look at what are the materials that we're putting out there that promotes people to the workplace? And um, do they have an image that's just a youth image only? I think, you know, and Mary mentioned this as well, I think we've come a long way in terms of diversity. But are we still honing in on, for example, um, you know, younger people when it actually comes to many job recruitments? And so that's one area I think that we need to look at is how age friendly are our recruitment policies or in fact the reverse of that. Now, that may be a conscious or an unconscious bias, but it's coming across. It's constantly coming across as a problem for people. And I'm going to talk in some cases about people 45 years of age uh, who may find that they have to move into a different workplace and who feel that, that they are too old. And it also actually filters through, for example, through CVs. People don't like to put that, you know, I've actually, you know, left university 20 years ago because they feel that works against them. And my question is why? What about that wealth of expertise and experience they developed in the meanwhile? Recruitment is one area, upskilling, training. And we know that that certainly filters through with the whole area of ICT. 
And again, something that I throw out and I think is an important one is why, for example, are our technology sectors um, so deficit when it comes to the the older population? Surely we need the voice, the experience of older people within that sector that we know from research that, you know, to have the voice of one particular cohort, one particular age group um, can sometimes not always be a great thing. That productivity, that the wealth of experience for a workplace is very much uh, is, is benefited by all a, div- a diversity of voices, a diversity of life experience. And the final point, and Mary, you did mention it as well, is recruit is actually retirement. What kind of policies do we have in place to actually facilitate people when they're coming towards retirement? Do we have, for example, job alignment, job crafting, ways of actually um, creating opportunities for people um, to actually maybe look at their work experience? Maybe, for example, if they want to continue to work, but maybe on a part time basis or maybe four days a week instead of five days. So it's really looking at this. And also, I do think that companies need to look at post retirement. Um, you know, in, in other words, how do we look at the resource of people who've retired from the workplace? Is there any opportunity to bring them back, even, for example, for a cup of tea, a cup of coffee and in a mentoring opportunity um, so that there's a connection between them and younger employees? So they're the areas that I think would be really, really important that we need to look at if we're actually going to uh, improve workplaces. 100 percent. I suppose the same question to yourself, Mary. We have things like the Employment Equalities Act. that has been there for decades now and we have, I suppose, a lot of people. One of the best quotes I ever heard about ages and what was that? I suppose aging is a blessing, given all the, the things that are out there. And I suppose in the first world, where particularly privileged ages, age, aging is actually a blessing or whatever. But it's not really being felt in workplaces, Mary, is it? I suppose building on what Trudy has said there, where you've seen it manifest. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you you have the Employment Equality Act uh, 2015 and the Equality Miscellaneous Provisions Act. Um, you, you've got the Code of Practice on Longer Working Order 2017 um, and you have the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission with guidelines on retirement and fixed term contracts. Um, but as I always say on this podcast, once we're falling back on the legislation, um, that's where people are litigating or, um, you know, so upset by what has happened in the workplace that they feel they have no option but to take a claim against the company and everybody is losing. There's no winners out of that. Uh, Even in circumstances where people get awards or substantial awards, there's still no winners because, you know, the relationship with the company is gone. Um, It may be the last role that somebody actually gets for the very reasons that Trudy has outlined because realistically, when you look at a CV in HR, you can tell the age of a person, irrespective of whether the person has put the age there or not. You can tell it by the year that they graduated from university. You can tell it by the first job that was held. You can tell it because of what people leave off a CV. So if you're, um, I suppose, going to approach um, the the shortlisting, let's say, of candidates, you're able to tell quite a lot from the CV, irrespective of of what's on it or off it, Um, let's be honest. Um, When it comes to our job specifications and our person specifications, you know, you'll often see very detailed documents produced by um, 
a HR team or a HR professional or or a hiring manager somewhere. And you'll see often the essential requirements um, being quite extensive and the essential uh, requirements from a person's specification a perspective um, being quite extensive as well. And you're limiting your pool um, by doing so. Because in having such an extensive list of essential things, you may well um, exclude cer certain groups of people and you might be deliberately excluding certain groups of mm -hmm. people. So let's be honest about that. Many organisations do. When it comes to the wording of your advertisements, um, you've got to be very careful in the, the who you're attracting um, and checking that the language that you use isn't a barrier to uh, people coming into the organization. So there's many, many hoops for anyone who applies for a job. First off, the advertisement, does that speak to me? Is that the kind of organization that's going to um, accept someone like me and want someone like me in their organization? So that's one thing. Then we've got our, our shortlisting our submission of our CV or however it's done and we have the shortlisting piece and then we've got the final hurdle of the actual interview um, and again consciously or unconsciously um, you will see that certain types of people make it through those processes um, and from a HR perspective, you really do have to look and see uh, who is making it through our entire process. Is it fair? Is it equitable? Um, are we inviting diversity into our organisations and not just diversity in terms of uh, the other uh, seven or eight grounds of um, outlined in, in the Equality Acts and, and you know, age often gets left out of it and age is not the the attractive buzz buzzy kind of thing that lots of HR teams are jumping on at the mm -hmm. moment it's often excluded uh, and I would really challenge that and ask why uh, we're all aging every day you're aging and um you know certainly do i feel any less dynamic now 25 years into my career than i did 25 years ago absolutely not i know a hell of a lot more now than i did when i started at the age of 23 um and you, you know my contribution to this business continues um, and I believe will continue for many, many years. Um, and I, I did see my own parents before they died. Both of them retired, not necessarily by choice. Um, you know, certainly in my mother's case, it wasn't by choice. And I did notice that, you know, that sense of purpose, her confidence, the size of her world changed significantly. Um, when she had no option but to retire. And while she always kept active in local history groups and, and things like that, not everybody has the confidence to do that once they leave the workplace. Um, and likewise with my father, worked all the way up until the last year of his life, um, but not at the level and pace he would have liked to continue at uh, and was perfectly capable 
up until the last year of his life when it came to work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really do believe that that organizations are missing a trick when when they're forcing retirement at 65. And that to me is old fashioned thinking and maybe from a time when when people's lives weren't extended too much longer beyond the age of 65 um right now people can contribute meaning meaningfully uh, for many more years if they wish to 100 it's a very important point because i suppose purely when it comes to people who are feeling this ageism or suffering from the effects that ageism is bringing on in the workplace there's got to be a mental health well-being aspect to this as well Trudy, isn't there Absolutely, Owen, and our research highlighted that. And um, <clears throat> I really want to maybe talk about this just in terms of there's two elements to this. And this is the mental health and well-being of people in the workplace who feel like it's what Mary was saying, that, you know, that they they don't have a choice. And that's in contrast to people that retire because they do make that choice themselves. And we actually the research is actually showing the difference between those two cohorts of people and their mental health and well-being post-retirement but it also mental health and well-being impacts very much in the workplace and it impacts in terms of younger people and the contribution of older people and what they can do to contribute towards the mental health and well-being of younger people so I'm just going to very briefly discuss both of those points so um Mary you said and it's absolutely true that um the work really in many ways it allows for many of us um I think you know if we were to look across at employer employee satisfaction it, you know it's particularly if we feel that the work is meaningful and if it's if we have purpose and what's also very much associated with that is our sense of identity and I remember talking to one older, older person as part of the research that we were doing and he said I went from one day where the phone's be ringing you know he was the manager of this organization um, to a week later and nobody needing me nobody wanting me and like it's trying to actually internalize that in your own mind that sense of identity for yourself and it's also in many ways that status, like, you know, if we, for example, have progressed through the workplace, what does that mean to us? I mean, how valuable is that for us? And when that's all kind of when we're disconnected from that, you know, post retirement, then that can actually be difficult for, for many people. And um, the idea of connection, you know, how important that is that one day we're very associated and connected and we've lots of social activities going on in the workplace as well as meetings and so on. And so many, many people find that this disconnection this kind of the reverse of all that, the lack of meaning in their lives, the lack of purpose um, can actually have huge impacts. Now, as I say, there is a distinction in the research between people who want to voluntarily retire because we know there are many people who say can't wait to move away from the workplace and that, you know, I have so many things I want to do with my life post retirement. But we're really talking about those um, strategies, approaches uh, that are in place in the workplace that either allow that, enable that kind of sense of fulfillment for people when they come to retirement age or where actually that they block that. And that is felt and it can be impacted in so many ways, mental health, isolation, loneliness, depression. And again, as I say, the research is definitely it's finding that. Uh, and if, from a very positive perspective, we do find that many older people go on to volunteer. So they continue to volunteer at, when they're retired. And we know that that's a huge has its own huge impact. And in many ways, uh, we'd actually say it goes unnoticed. But it is really, really important and important to the workplace, the contribution to the workplace and not least, for example, grandparents minding children so that their own children can go to work. So all of this is really important. But if I could very briefly mention um, the well-being and mental health of younger workers is hugely important and actually omitting or leaving out the opportunity for them to engage with older people 
can in itself be a problem. And if I can be very brief and tell you that when I was in Dublin City University some years ago, we organized an intergenerational learning program where older people came on the campus and met with younger students. And when we asked the students and we kept this as an open question, what was the most kind of important experience? What, you know, what did this mean for you um, engaging in teaching and learning with the older people? And many of the students commented on it helped with my stress levels. I'm in university. I'm a student and I'm talking to other students and my stress levels are rising. But when you talk to these older people, they give you a wider world perspective. And I think this is this part of old of aging and older people that we seem to omit their vibrance, their energy, their lived experience, their sense of humor. I experienced all of that as part of my group with the older women that I had, um, you know, when I taught them so many years ago. And so when we leave that out of the workplace, we're leaving out the opportunity for younger people to talk about, for example, their personal experiences. If, for example, they're experiencing stress at a personal level. If they're experiencing stress, for example, at a professional level, to talk to the older employees and to actually understand their life experience and the strategies that they actually used to, to help them to overcome those issues. So I think it's really important from both perspectives that it's not just about the mental health and well-being of older people. And we know from the research that that's hugely important, but it's also about what we can do to contribute to the mental health and well-being of younger people and in encouraging or promoting these spaces where both can meet and share together is a really important part or should be a really important part of the workplace. 100% there are so many qualities there that you've actually raised that we talk about the knowledge, the experience, but there's also things like resilience, that kind of stuff as well. So it's great to, great to hear that perspective. Really. I love that. Um, I suppose, Mary, my last couple of questions were, one, how do we manage it in the workplace if it does happen? And how do we prevent it as well? I suppose they kind of go hand in hand a bit, Mary, don't they, when we talk about managing this in the workplace if it does happen and also looking at things like policies to prevent it. Yeah, I mean, you will always have your dignity at work, always have. I, I say that as if every organisation has a dignity at work policy. I wish that was true. It's not always the case. We still work with clients who are only just putting in place the standard policies and procedures required by law. But let's imagine if you have a, a dignity at work policy in place um, and there are mechanisms for people to raise concerns that they have. Absolutely. But we've got to step back a little bit from that because, again, your policies and procedures are there to protect uh, the organisation and to protect the employee. Uh, they have a dual purpose uh, from that perspective. Um, but on their own, they are not enough. And it's very much about awareness raising. Um, it may well be about uh, allyship. It may well be about um, you know, building board sponsorship and it may well be about, you know, being one of the few uh, HR functions out there that really looks at this and does something uh, around this whole area. But I'm a real believer in education, awareness, training of your line management and I always say on this podcast your your line managers are your greatest area of risk empowering them uh, giving them the information teaching them about the value and the contribution that older people can make in the workplace is really important you know i often hear people talk about you know somebody slowing down and you know not being as dynamic or having ill health 
these are HR issues uh, around performance and uh, around, um, you know, supporting somebody going through illnesses. But that can be at any age. It is not the preserve of older people. And many older people are uh, fit and healthy and well and dynamic throughout their entire careers uh, and more dynamic maybe than some some of their younger people in the organisation. So again, it's about challenging stereotypes. It's about generalisation and stopping that in the same way that we've looked at any other group of people that might get discriminated against in the workplace. We also need to look at older people. What is our attitude towards older people? Generally, you're going to have your your boards and your senior management team made up of people who are in their, you know, realistically 40s, 50s, moving up towards their 60s. So at the top layer of most organisations, you're seeing older people. But you're not seeing it uh, in other parts of the business. So it's almost like if you haven't made it by a certain age, you know, what, what's your future um, in an organization? I, and I don't believe that's right. Mm-hmm, 100%. I suppose final word yourself, Trudy, on that kind of prevention piece. Any final advice for HR teams, leaders, that kind of stuff, building on what, building on what Mary said there? I think, Mary, you've put it very well. Um, But I do think that we need to, it's really very much around, Mary, you mentioned stereotypes. We need to, in many ways, evaluate the way that we look at older people. And I do think it's not just about workplaces doing this for the good of older employees, but it's actually about what older employees can bring to the productivity and to the, for example, performance and to the overall health and well-being. Because we know that's a really, really important issue for many organizations now is how do we actually maintain the health and well-being of our employees of our staff and where we know that people are healthy and well we know that that does you know it, it, it does impact on productivity and performance and so um i would just say again mary mentioned about you mentioned there about dignity and work policy and yet that was something we talked about in our report uh, providing a very good ethical framework one that's uh, very open that's uh, open to all staff, that staff are aware about what that framework, what that policy is in place and feeling like that they can talk to their employer if there are issues and um, not to feel that this is something that's just that they have experience, that they have to experience, but that they can't actually talk about. Um, the issue that we really very much and the one that I really would very much support is the whole idea of promoting reverse mentoring. And I know it's in America, we've had Chip Connolly has actually talked about this, um, where we actually have, we're looking at finding, creating spaces where older people can mentor um, the younger people in the workplace and vice versa. And this can be very practical ideas. I mean, the obvious one that we talk about is the use of technology, the use of social media, but it can be much wider than that. It can be, for example, about people management skills. And so it's actually creating that space for reverse mentoring, I think is a really important part of this. Um, A really kind of simple one, but a really important one is actively encouraging social engagement um, for example, sometimes that there are kind of social uh, you know, events organized and sometimes some older employees might feel this isn't for me. For example, one experience that I heard about was one woman talked about um, that someone used to go around on a Friday and go to the various desks and invite people for a drink. But they didn't invite her because I think there was a presumption that maybe she wouldn't go or she was going home to her family or whatever. And she said, I would have just loved to be asked because I would have probably gone for one even if I didn't stay the night. So, you know, that idea of just social engagement that's inclusive of all the age groups. 
Um, uh, we mentioned already, so I won't go into too much detail. But again, Mary and myself talked about recruitment, recruitment policies, really important um, that they would be very fluid, that we would we would examine our own perceptions, our own stereotypes around aging, around those policies, upskilling, opportunities for upskilling. And um, a new kind of concept that we've been looking at is this job alignment, you know, where maybe you've been in the workplace, that particular job may not be the one for you. The job in your 20s may not be the job for you in your 50s, but there may actually be a job there within the workplace. So job alignment, job crafting really important uh, practice to look at and um, just opportunities coming to retirement, you know, needs analysis for older workers. What is it that they can do in the time and place, in the time and place in the environment? For example, can they work more um, offline? And in other words, can they work from home with that suit? Um, and also post retirement opportunities, retirements for staff that have required to come back to the workplace to meet with staff to link in with them, to engage with them. And knowing that this isn't just because it's a nice thing to do, but because these staff have a wealth of experience and that experience in many ways, knowledge, wisdom, skills. Um, while some, and we are aware that some skills actually, yes, do become redundant, but there's a wealth of knowledge that people do actually develop in a lifetime in the workplace. So can some of that be brought back over, say, for example, to chat over tea or coffee with employers and employees and sharing or transferring that wealth of knowledge so that that's not lost just because the person has retired. 100% I suppose with the, the variety of structure we have in work now and I suppose all the developments we've had in recent years there's kind of no excuses to not adapt accordingly I suppose it's, it's something that you both said will affect all of us one day so we should all be doing something about it so look thank you Trudy and Mary for a very insightful discussion learned a lot myself I do enjoy these conversations about these kind of issues so really appreciate your time so thank you very much for for all your insights thank you to everyone for listening we catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Trudy. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Trudy. Thanks, Owen, and thanks, Mary. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.